If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to open to the New Testament book of Titus. We are in Titus 3. Uh, verse 11 is where we're picking up, and we are actually wrapping up our sermon series today uh, called uh, Titus Blueprint for a Healthy Church. And over the past six or seven weeks, we've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, uh, through the book of Titus. And in case you missed any of our um, messages, uh, let me just kind of give you a quick recap in terms of what's going on uh, in the book of Titus. Titus was written by the Apostle Paul, a church planter. Uh, who traveled around the Mediterranean Rim, uh, going church to planting, church after church after church. And when Paul would plant a church, he would leave behind uh, some leadership in place to pastor, to shepherd the flock, if you will. And Titus was an intern. He was a pastoral intern, uh, one of many pastoral interns uh, that the Apostle Paul had and put in place. And so uh, Titus was on the island of Crete. He was stationed on the island of Crete. And Crete had a reputation for being a, a place of wild living. And so the idea behind this letter was Paul says, um, Titus, I'm sending you to the island of Crete to pastor there to straighten things out. That's kind of how this letter began. And so Paul wrote this letter uh, to uh, his intern Titus to encourage him to straighten things out because on the island of Crete, Crete had a reputation for not just wild living, but to call someone a Cretan was uh, a, a, a slang term. It was like calling them a liar. Uh, they were just, that's just who they were. And so, uh, Paul says, man, that, that church, um, all the sin of that wild living on the island of Crete, it's starting to seep into the church. And so I need you to straighten things out. And so Paul is writing this letter that's filled with doctrine. It's filled with uh, orthodox teaching, but also not just teaching, but also, hey, I don't want you to just believe these things and understand these things, but I need you to live these things out so that your people, the Jesus followers on the island of Crete, um, the church can go out and uh, impact the culture and beyond. So uh, that's kind of the, uh, the, the recap of what the letter uh, is all about. So um, uh, again, just real quickly here, um, Paul says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Make sure that the church is on the soil of Jesus Christ. Then lay a foundation of leaders who are strong, who are faithful, uh, and then make sure your plumb lines are straight. And we had that week where we just said, gosh, we got to just keep going back to Scripture. This is our plumb line to really understand God's truth in our lives. Then I want you to gather together a group of reputable builders and uh, grow them in righteousness. Oh, by the way, as you're building, don't get distracted. Stay focused on the mission and vision to which uh, Jesus has called us to, to be the church. Manage your resources is what we talked about last week, this idea of labor and materials. It's the both and, right? It's not the either or, but it's the both and and that invitation to live into grace and truth and all those other things that we talked about. And so Paul's going to close out the letter today, uh, Titus 3, talking about this idea of building for the future. Build for the future. 
Don't just build something, you know, a little bit, but really, truly build for the future. This whole idea of future generations for longevity uh, so that future pe uh, generations may know Jesus Christ. It's this idea of posterity, right? Don't just focus on today, but focus on tomorrow and really lay the foundation for future generations. And I came across this scripture text uh, from Revelation 9-7, where the uh, disciple John has this vision, this, this glimpse into heaven. And I love this. It says, I saw a vast crowd from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. And what John sees is this vision of every person on the planet, every uh, uh, nation and tongue, all people groups standing before the throne of Jesus, which tells us that until every person on this planet has had uh, an, an opportunity to hear the gospel, We've got work to do until that day happens, right? And so that's our work, is to proclaim the good news. That was the, the good news uh, uh, and the message that was given to the church in the early days. And that continues to be our message. And we can never grow tired or weary of leaning into that vision uh, that John places before us in the book of Revelation. We've got work to do. So uh, if you're in Titus 3, uh, I'll invite us to, to just invite God to come and speak to us. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity this morning to, to not only give you our pledge, to bring in our first fruits in terms of acknowledging God in the ways in which we, we plan to give back to you in 2024, but Lord, also the ways in which you are inviting us to plan for the future, to look ahead so that future generations might know you as we know you and walk with you as we walk with you. And so, God, as we finish out this letter this morning, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, for you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. On May 25th, 1961, President John F. Kennedy stood before a joint session of Congress. And he said, before the decade is out, I have a vision to put a man on the moon. Now back in the day, Congress was very different than it is today. When he cast this vision to put a man on the moon, there was dissension, there was pushback. People questioned, is that really possible? Could we really do this? How much is it gonna cost to put a man on the moon? And frankly, why would we put a man on the moon before the decade is out? And so maybe you heard that speech or you've uh, read about that speech as Kennedy stood before the joint session of Congress. It was pretty coolly uh, received. People were not overly enthusiastic about it. So Kennedy waited a little while. A few months later, he went to Houston, Texas, to Rice University, to the stadium, filled it up uh, with 40,000 supporters, and then he cast the vision again. And the name of his speech was really, uh, um, We Choose to Go to the Moon. And Kennedy leaned into this idea of we either choose to do this as um, Americans, our future, our destiny will choose for us. 
this idea, this American pioneering idea that we're going to go and we're going to do something extraordinary that no one else has ever done before. And if we don't become in charge of our own destiny, then destiny is just going to show up and we are going to be uh, a nation that just continues to go and be status quo. Well, it, for whatever reason, this seemed to resonate and it gained traction more and more and more. And over the next eight years and three months, scientists got busy. They got to work. And they began to really focus on what would it take to put a man on the moon. And so there was in 1969, the Apollo 11, Kennedy Space Station, 7.5 million pounds of thrust, Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins on the launch pad. They blast off into space. A few days later, July 20th, 1969, at 3.17 Bloomington Normal Time. Maybe you were here and you were watching that. Houston Tranquility Base here, the Eagle has landed. In the next few hours, people walked on the moon. And not only did they just walk on the moon, but they planted a flag on the moon as if to say, we are here. We're here. We have done something that we have never done before as human beings. And the world will never be the same. And it all began with Kennedy casting a vision for the future, declaring that things would never be the same. That was 54 years ago. And the world has never been the same since we put a man on the moon on July 20th, 1969. Kennedy's speech was a call to action. It was a call to commitment. It was a putting a stake in the ground metaphorically and literally. It was this declaration that we're going to a whole new place. I think as we close out Paul's letter from Timothy to Titus, it's got that same kind of idea, this idea that planting a stake in the ground and we've got to be paying attention to future generations. So Paul writes in uh, Titus 3, uh, verse 12, As soon as I send Artemis, or Tychicus, to you, do your best to come to me in Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. So Paul says, hey, winter's coming. Winter's coming, Titus, and I want you to be prepared. I want you to get ready. In fact, I want you to leave the island of Crete where you've been stationed, and I'm going to send somebody else uh, to come and relieve you of your duties. Future interns, the church, if you will, Artemis and Tychicus. They're going to be the future of the church. I want you to come and spend some time on mainland Greece with me. You're going to be relieved of your duties. And so what Paul is doing is he's casting this vision. He's telling Titus, a new season is coming. 
There's going to be new leadership. So I want you to get prepared for the, new, the next generation to serve the church. So I want to ask you this morning, I want to ask all of us this morning, this is the collective time for us to ask ourselves to do a little bit of check. It's Pledge Sunday. It's Vision Sunday. How are we committed to future generations? Future generations of Jesus followers. How are you committed this morning? Now before you answer that question, I think we are in a new season here at Faith Lutheran Church. And I'm going to just call it Faith 3.0. And let me kind of unpack what I kind of think where we're at as a congregation and as individuals in this congregation. So I'm going to just back up a little bit and, and take us down a journey of memory lane. Faith 1.0. When Faith Lutheran Church began six and a half years ago, Many of us were without a church home, and we were kind of looking around. We were spiritual orphans, if you will, and we didn't really know where to go or what to do. And Faith 1.0 was much like a life raft. It's kind of like we like were blown off the Titanic, off a, a ship, or, or whatever image or metaphor you might want to use. Remember those days? And we all just kind of grabbed on. We grabbed on to the life raft because it was safe. It was a place where we could come and just gather together to catch our breath and just say, okay, now what? We just need a place to, to grab on to. And we found each other in that season of Faith 1.0. And it was a good season. It was just a, a season. There was a paper cross and everything was very simple in the life of the church. And it was just a... Found, I found my people. I found a group of people where I can be safe and study God's word and, and uh, just really um, experience Jesus. But it, was, it wasn't flashy, right? There were no stained glass windows. There was no pipe organ. There were no comfortable pews to, to come and sit on. It was just raw. It was a life raft. And after a while, we said, ah, oh, it's been so good but we need to move on and we pivoted from faith 1.0 to faith 2.0. We said we can't just keep hanging on. We got to go somewhere. We need to move forward. And that's when we really cast this vision of, of becoming disciples of Jesus Christ. It wasn't enough for us to just know about Jesus, but we said we're going to actually lean into what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so we developed this, this mission statement of dis growing disciples, growing disciples. And God gave us this vision of church planting and a thousand churches. And we're like, what? How do we do that? I have no idea. But we just said, we're going somewhere. We're not just going to be a life raft anymore. We're now going to build a boat. And we decided to build this boat. And uh, it was this tabernacle that we just carried around. And those of you who have been at Faith Lutheran Church for a while know that this is the, I don't know, the fourth or fifth location. We just kind of moved our tent from one place to the next. And we dug deeper in Scripture. And we really became an Ephesians 4 church. 
And Ephesians 4 church is where the congregation does the ministry and the role of the pastor is to equip the disciples of Jesus Christ to do the ministry. And we've just leaned into that over and over and over and we've dug deeper and deeper and put down some really good roots into scripture, into, into one another's lives. And it was this season of growing deep and growing strong in God's word as we've grown in relationship. And we've talked about this idea of relationship discipleship, and we've got lots and lots of you all connected in life groups where we just share and grow and study and learn and dream together with one another. And we've grown. We have grown so deep. And it's so much fun for me as the pastor of, of this congregation, and I share with other pastors all the time how rich and fun it is to serve among you all because your stories, your testimonies, many of you have shared with me that you have grown so much in your faith over the past few years. If you've been here a year, you've said to me, wow, I have really grown a lot over the past year. Some of you have been here in over six years, and, and you've said over the past six years. It's been like a rocket ship. Uh, you know, I was involved in a church or churches throughout my life. But when I came to this congregation, that's when my faith really took off. And many of you shared with me that you read through scripture, the entire Bible for the first time in your entire life. And you've been going to church for decades. I mean, story after story of growth and discipleship. And it's been so rich, and I just have enjoyed every moment of it. Well, I think we are on the cusp of faith 3.0, I'm going to call it. And I think this new season in the life of our congregation is about what Timothy is writing to Titus about. It's about longevity. It's about future generations. It's about posterity. It's about Artemis and Tychicus, the next people who are to come and sit among us. Now, I, three days ago, I celebrated a birthday. I turned 55, and I don't know what 55 was like for some of you, or uh, for those of you who are under 55, you're probably thinking, wow, that is stinking old, right? And those of you who are older than 55 are like, and even someone said it this past week, oh, to be 55 again, right? But I got to tell you, 55 has been a, a pretty extraordinary birthday for me because um, it's just kind of been a season of reflection, a season of like, how much gas is left in the tank of pastoring? How much do I have left of being, you know, how much time is God calling me to be a pastor? Because I know for many people, 55 is kind of that time where it's like, eh, I'm kind of thinking, you know, uh, five years, four years, three years, two years, whatever. You know, I mean, everybody's kind of got a different timeline, if you will. And I want to share with you this morning that as I think about 55, I think I got more gas in the tank. And I think, frankly, a lot of the, the reason why I've got more energy and gas in the tank, more battery, uh, is because of the summer and the sabbatical you all gave me. It really filled my battery uh, and, and really filled me up. So I, 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 you know, if you had asked me six months ago, how much longer do you think you're going to pastor? I, I maybe would have said, I don't know, maybe three years. I, I, I mean, my, my battery was low. My tank was running on empty. The, 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 the check engine light was flashing. 
But after several months away and, and really having my batteries recharged, I feel good. I feel excited. I feel energized. I think I've got 15 more years of serving in ministry. So I think about 15 years of serving in ministry. I don't know. It feels like a little bit of time. And I'm like, what are we going to do for the next 15 years? We got work to do. I, I got work to do, and I think all of us have work to do until Artemis or Tychicus comes. I'm just going to say, I'm going to suggest that Artemis or Tychicus is coming in about 15 years. And in the meantime, I think we've got work to do. And I think some of the most important work I think uh, that God is calling us to as a congregation is to shift from this idea of being a tabernacle to this idea of a temple. Having a more permanent facility as a congregation. Now let me unpack this just a little bit with you. Moving from a tabernacle to a temple is like putting a flag in the ground. It's like saying to the community, we are here. We're here and we're not going away. We recognize that we live in a community where there's a lot of brokenness and sinfulness and we want to be a sanctuary. We want to stake our place in a, in a space that can declare ourselves a holy place where people from the community can come and gather and receive healing in the name of Jesus Christ. Now I want to clarify. We are tabernacle people, right? Everyone in this room has been a part of the tabernacle journey. And I think it's really important that we don't think of ourselves as temple people. In fact, you, you all are here not because you need a temple. You don't need a permanent worship space. You guys have been on this journey for the last few years. You've been okay with it. You're okay coming in early, setting up the chairs, setting up the altar, setting up everything, and, and moving place to place, location to location. I think it's important for us to understand that we are, this, it's not about us. Moving from a tabernacle to a temple is about those who are not yet here. Because you know some people will not come into this place because they think we're just temporary. They look at the building, they look at us, they see what we're doing before and after worship, and like, I'm not really sure if they're going to be around much longer. That's not you guys. You guys have already put a, a flag in the ground saying we're here. And so the idea of moving from a tabernacle to a temple, from a, a, a temporary space to a more permanent space, the idea is for those who are not here yet to really consider what that might be like, so that in 15 years, the next pastor, Tychicus or Artemis, shows up uh, with his spouse and 2.4 children and sees a congregation filled with multi-generational people, little kids, older kids, old people, and says, ah, this congregation has been focused on the next 
generation. How are you committed to growing the next generation of disciples of Jesus Christ? Verse 13. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for the urgent for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Again, Paul just can't help himself. He says we not only have to believe the right things, we not only have to have orthodox thinking, but we have to live the faith in such a way that is compelling to one another and to the world. It's about doing good. It's not just believing the right things, but it's about doing the right things. And of course, we've talked about this over and over. It's about orthopraxy, how we put our Christian faith into practice. And so when Paul writes about this idea of not living unproductive lives, everyone immediately goes, oh, he's referring to Jesus. He's referring to Jesus when Jesus was teaching about don't live unproductive lives. And in Matthew 24, we read how Jesus is explaining the end of times. Matthew 24, Jesus is saying, okay, this is how the world is going to end. This is how things are going to come to a conclusion. So the disciples, after Jesus does this teaching, uh, comes to Je they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, how, how's it all going to end? Clarify for us. When is it going to end? What's it going to look like? And what do we do? And then Jesus shifts into Matthew 25 and he explains, as Jesus normally does, in parables what the end of the world is going to look like. And he tells the parable of the virgins, the parable of the sheep and goats, and the parable of the talents. First parable, the parable of the virgins, the, the, the main part of the story, or it's all about don't miss the party. Be ready because it's coming. And then he talks about the sheep and the goats. And the, and the real, the, the, the main uh, nugget behind the sheep and the goats is take care of the hurting and the lost. Those who are broken and wounded and lost and far from me. Don't worry about sorting out the sheep and the goats, but just love and care for people who are broken and in need of the love of Jesus Christ. And then the third parable, the parable of the talents. Jesus looks at the disciples and the main point of the story is don't waste your life. I've given you so much. Now get to work. There is a whole world out there that needs you. Don't waste your life. So I'm just going to summarize Matthew 25 as depend on the gospel, declare the gospel, and demonstrate the gospel. Trying to boil it down for us. And I think we do a pretty good job here at Faith of depending on the gospel, depending on Jesus Christ. We talk about this week after week, and, and we, many of us even day after day in our life groups and with one another, declaring the gospel. Again, I think we do a pretty good job of this, just digging into God's word and, and declaring the gospel to one another and to those around us. But I got to tell you, I think our growing edge is demonstrating the gospel of living out our faith in this community and beyond. Pastor Tim Keller, uh, a Presbyterian PCA pastor who uh, actually passed away this, this spring, this is what he said. If you and your church were to disappear off the face of the earth tomorrow, 
Would anyone in the community around you notice you were gone? Now, I got to tell you, that quote haunts me. And I wonder, if you and your church were to disappear off the face of the earth tomorrow, would anyone in the community around you notice that you were gone? It's a fair question. It's a good question. I think so. I think we make an impact in the community. And if we were to close our doors tomorrow and turn off the lights, I think the community would miss us. But I think we can do better. I think we can make a bigger impact in this community. And so part of this vision of faith 3.0, of shifting from a tabernacle to a temple, an idea of having a more permanent facility is about leveraging the facility to serve those in the community. Paul says, do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. See, this vision that Paul is laying for Titus is it really is all about Zenos and Apollos caring for those people in the community. It's about building for the future, but it's also about the needs for today, and there are needs for today. And so I would really see the purpose of a, a temple, a more permanent facility for our congregation, first and foremost, about future generations. Look around at the empty seats here. That's the primary purpose for the, a facility, I think the secondary purpose is really about serving in the community. Monday through Friday. I got to tell you, when I drive by church after church in this community and I see empty parking lots, I see empty buildings Monday through Friday, it just breaks my heart. I think, why in the world is that congregation, why are those Jesus followers not leveraging that facility in the community? And what I've shared with the church council here time after time after time, I'm not interested in a facility just for Sunday morning for us to gather together as much as I enjoy this. But I am only interested in leveraging a more permanent facility to serve the community Monday through Friday. And I think there are all sorts of ways that we can do this. And that's part of the conversation of really digging at what it means to move into the temple. So where do you guys fit? You don't need a temple. You're tabernacle people. You're not serving in the community, uh, being served in the community through this facility. Primary purpose for this facility would be about future generations. Secondary purpose, serving the community in the here and now. Here's the good news. You're the third pri priority. I mean, wouldn't it be nice to come in on Sunday morning and it's just like, ah, this feels like our home. This feels like our space. That's what I really see as the vision for us to plant our stake in the ground, our flag in the ground and say, you know what? We get to use the temple also. But it's not primarily about us and it's not even secondarily about us. So Paul says, what, you want to build a healthy church? 
build on the soil of Jesus Christ, lay a foundation of strong and faithful leaders, continue to look at your plumb lines and the truth of Jesus Christ, gather reputable builders, stay focused on the mission, manage your resources, labor and materials, and build for the future. And then Paul closes his letter with this. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Let us pray. God, we thank you that you have given us a blueprint for a healthy church. You've given us step-by-step instructions. God, you've given us sound doctrine over and over and over through this word. God, we thank you for this just constant reminder and invitation to put our faith into practice in the world. And Lord, as you close out the book of Titus, you remind us that we have got to plan for future generations. The next generation, Lord, that you are calling us to. God, I don't know how we're going to get there, but I believe that you are leading us and guiding us as you've always done with your people. So Lord, help us to be faithful, to plan. Help us, God, to look to the future, but also to serve right here because there are so many people in this community who need your love, your healing. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.